Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Uh, My name is Brandon Freemian, and uh, I'm on staff here at the church and also the uh, pastoral candidate for the church. So we are continuing in our series today on calling. So as Mark mentioned earlier, we are focusing on how do we go about serving in our place of calling and giftedness, and a central part of that is understanding your calling. And so last week, Ellen started out this sermon series by talking about calling in general, kind of big picture, what is calling, and she defined it for us, that calling is to be summoned by God to join in his good purposes for the praise of his glory. So it is a a work of God, something that he is doing, summoning us to join him in his purposes with an end of his glory. Now today we are going to be focusing specifically on the call to salvation. This is one of the callings we see in the scripture. Ellen talked about last week, there's the sort of big C callings and little C callings. These big C callings being things like salvation and the other things that God calls us to explicitly in the scriptures. But there's also little C callings, things around vocation, marriage, whether to be married, all of those are things that are still aspects of we want to follow God in those things, but they aren't necessarily explicitly laid out for us in Scripture. And so there's a process of discernment we walk through in those. But salvation definitely is one of those that is a big C calling, right? And I wanted to start by sharing a little bit with you about how I came to faith. So I told you all, I think a couple weeks ago, that I grew up uh, in a church called Faith Lutheran. It's a relatively small church out in Sugarland. Uh, you can actually still go see it. It's down off of Brook Street, real near the Sugar Factory, for those of you who live in the area and know where that is. But uh, I, I came to faith before I, I have a memory of it. So I do not remember a time before I knew Jesus. I came to faith as a child came to a recognition that I was a sinner in need of grace and that Christ was the only answer for that. And my parents were the ones that taught me about Jesus. And so as much as I know there's, there's a lot of value in having that kind of before and after of knowing what it was like before Jesus and after Jesus, I don't have that. And, you know, that's kind of a blessing too. But I can also look back and see how that wasn't an accident, right? I grew up in a house of believers. My mom grew up in an Assembly of God's church up in New Lebanon, Ohio. Uh, but my dad was not a believer when he was a child. And actually, when he started dating my mom, one of the requirements that her parents, my grandparents, laid out was that he had to start going to church with her. And so he did that, and he, he told me that he sort of antagonized this uh, Sunday school teacher named Brother Gray with a lot of, you know, hard and pestering questions. But God used that to ultimately lead him to faith, which is why I grew up in a household of Christians. Now, not necessarily a model I would recommend, but nonetheless, God used that. And so I can look back and see how God had orchestrated all of these events that ultimately brought me to a place of saving faith. And 
I can also go back to the scriptures to understand more of what happened there. Because in addition to all of those relationships, all those people, all those things happening, all those churches that were involved, all of that, there was also the hand of God in the midst of that and him doing something in me, him calling me to him. And I'm guessing that for those of you in the room who are believers, you can think back on that. You can think back on how it was that you came to faith. And you can also, if you look in the scriptures with me, see what happened when God called you. And that's what I want to look at today. What, did that, what is that calling? And so I'm going to look at two passages. One, I want to look at what is probably the most radical conversion story in the scriptures, which is the story of Paul. So I want to look at that story from Acts 9, and then I want to see how he talked about that later on in Philippians 3, because we see this very interesting contrast where he's talking about what life was like before for him and where it was after for him. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Acts 9, 1 through 9, and I'm going to read the story of when Saul, also called Paul in Greek, meets Jesus. says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So we are introduced to Paul earlier in Acts. In, in Acts 8, we see him there at the stoning of Stephen and then him going about ravaging the church, right? It talks about him going door to door, finding the Christians in Jerusalem and putting them into jail or worse. But not content to remain in Jerusalem, we see here that he gets letters because he's evidently heard that there's some Christians in Damascus as well. So he is going to travel to Damascus and do the same thing go door to door, finding these Christians and putting them in prison. But on the way, he's interrupted. He's traveling, and suddenly there's a bright light and a voice he hears saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then that voice clarifies who this is. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, that when he has been going door to door pulling out the Christians, he was not just persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus himself. And then he opens his eyes, and he can't see. And we have here where God allows him to experience physically what was going on spiritually. Because Paul, as we're going to see later on in Philippians, thinks he is being zealous for the Lord. He thinks he is doing what is in service to God, but in actuality, 
he is completely spiritually blind and cannot see Jesus for who he is. And God allows him to be spiritually blind to represent what is actually going on spiritually in him. So then those who are traveling with Paul take him to Damascus. And I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to summarize. But there in Damascus, there's a man named Ananias. And God comes to Ananias and he asks Ananias to go and heal Paul. Now, Ananias is not excited about this assignment. And this is something we're going to talk about later when God calls you to things that you're not very excited about because he has heard about who this Paul is. He knows why he's there, and he is not particularly interested in going and making Paul see. But God says this, Verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God says, no, I have a calling on Paul's life as well. And so Ananias obeys, he goes and he heals Paul, and Paul is baptized, and immediately he begins proclaiming Jesus gets in quite a bit of trouble for it, too. This is a a radical change. Someone who was persecuting Jesus turns and is now preaching Jesus. I want to go now to Philippians 3, because in Philippians 3, we get this picture of what was happening in Paul. So we're fast-forwarding now a little bit in, in Paul's life. Paul has begun to live into that calling that God had on his life, right? He gets called to go to the Gentiles. He he, he plants churches. He is evangelizing, and he's helping support the churches that he's planted. And here we have him writing to the church in Philippi, and he's helping them because there have been some in the church who have been teaching that there's something you need other than Jesus, Namely, that you need circumcision. You need some other symbol, some other attribute of yourself in order to be saved. And he says this starting in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So here he gives this picture of what he was like before the Damascus Road. And he sort of is inviting his opponents here to hold up their spiritual resume next to his, right? And he lays out, here is my spiritual resume. And he talks about the fact, I was a Jew. I was a part of the people of God who have all of the Old Testament promises and covenants. I was a Jew in good standing, circumcised on the eighth day. With regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. And we know from reading the Gospels, right, that the Pharisees were the ones that were very good law followers. They made sure to follow it to the letter. In fact, they even added some rules on top of it to make sure that they didn't violate the law. This was Paul, 
right? You were not going to beat him in terms of following the laws of the Old Testament. He says, I was blameless in that. Not that he was perfect. He was just really good at following the law. As to zeal, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. Right? This wasn't just about rule following. He was zealous. He thought he was on fire for God. And he saw this new Christian sect as being people who were defying the true faith. And because he was zealous for the faith, he was going to go door to door and he was going to root it out more than anyone else around him. He was zealous. That was where Paul's heart was. And he was completely spiritually blind. He thought he was serving God and in actuality... He was defying the very God he thought he was trying to serve. And it took Jesus entering in and changing him, removing that spiritual blindness in order for him to be able to see Jesus for who he really was. And I think it is this place where our story is the same as Paul's. Now, our life may have looked different than Paul's. I don't know what your spiritual resume looked like before Christ. Some of you, it might have looked okay, right? You might have been able to say, you know, probably not perfect, but overall, the good outweighs the bad. I'm sure it's fine. Maybe for some of you, it's not that case at all. Right? Your life didn't have a whole lot of good about it. Maybe it was just you were doing whatever happened to please you at the time. But I think for everyone, we were in the exact same place of Paul. Whether we thought we were doing enough good, whether we thought that we could just do whatever we wanted and it didn't matter, we know from the scriptures, from what Paul teaches in Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know from Romans 2 and 3 that we were in rebellion against God. We were dead in our sins. We had a spiritual blindness that meant we could not see Jesus for who he was. We were not getting there on our own. And it took God intervening in our lives in such a way that we could both hear and receive what was true about who Jesus was. Praise be to God. Because short of that, we would have been like Paul. Zealously pursuing whatever we, we thought was best and good, but in actuality walking in rebellion against God. And it took God intervening in our lives. And that's what we mean by God calling us to salvation. There is a recognition that we are spiritually blind unless God opens our hearts to see him because of our own nature, we are in rebellion against him. And also we can look back about how God orchestrated us hearing the gospel in a way that we could receive it and believe. Now, Paul goes on here after he's laid out his spiritual resume, and he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So he looks at all of that stuff. He looks at that spiritual resume that he had, and he says, it's rubbish. It's trash compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. Now, I want to be careful here because what he's doing here is he's drawing a comparative because we can look at some of these things that he says about himself before he was a Christian and say, you know what, those were good things, right? He talks about his ethnic identity. He talks about having a certain zealousness for following the things of God. Like, those are not intrinsically bad things, right? The persecuting the church thing, you know, maybe not so much. But what he's doing here is he's drawing a comparative. He's not saying those things are valueless in and of themselves. They're just valueless compared to knowing Jesus. So let me draw an example. So I really love clocks and watches. I don't entirely know why. Uh, maybe just because I'm a very time-oriented person. But that's just one of my things, right? And I really like this watch. This was a Christmas present. I wear this all the time. And it has a certain amount of value to it, right? It is intrinsically a valuable object, and it also has sentimental value to me. Now, if I were to take this watch and compare its worth to my family and my relationship with my family, well, that watch does not seem very valuable anymore. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He says, all of these things that I would have put my value in, that I looked to to have merit before God, that I thought were the most valuable things about myself, when I take those things and I compare them to the worth of knowing Jesus, it's like it's trash. It's just worthless. And he goes on to say what he wants, verse 9, is to be found in him, to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, when God changed Paul's heart there on the Damascus Road, what Paul came to realize is that all of those things that he was doing, that he thought were what gave him merit before God, that thought were the righteousness that he needed, that that was not it at all. That he needed a righteousness that was not his own. He needed a righteousness that could come only through faith in Jesus, such that when God looked on him, he was not looking at the righteousness of Paul. He was looking at the righteousness of Jesus, who had lived a life that Paul could never live and who had died for sins. And that was where Paul needed to look for his righteousness. And I think it is hugely significant that we find it in this passage. Because you'll remember that back when God was talking to Ananias and he talked about the callings that were going to be on Paul's life, right? That he was going to do, honestly, what are pretty amazing things for the sake of the kingdom. Right? He's planning churches. People are coming to faith because of him. He ends up writing like half the New Testament. I think it would have been very easy for Paul to look at those things and go, my spiritual resume. Not the things that came before he came to Christ, but the things that came after. 
So I think it's hugely significant that here when he's writing to the church at Philippi, after he's done a lot of those things, he is still saying, where does my righteousness come from? My righteousness comes through faith. That I have a righteousness not about me following the law, not about the things that I do or have done, but that is solely found in Jesus. And I, and I bring that up, and I chose this passage for this reason, because we are, over the next couple weeks, going to be talking about a whole lot of different aspects of calling. We're going to be talking about what are the things that, that God calls us to in scriptures? What are the things that God calls us to do with regards to vocations and, and service in the world and all of these things? But there is a danger there that we may lose sight of the fact that we have salvation because solely of faith and because God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is a temptation for us to begin to take these things that God calls us to after we come to faith in him and start to think that that is what gives us worth and merit before God. And I want to speak in particular to, to my generation of Christians um, though others, I'm guessing, have experienced this as well. So I, I think I am like a late Gen X or early millennial, depending on who's counting. But I grew up in an era of Christianity where, this is a good thing, there was a very strong call towards living more into different aspects of the faith, like global missions, doing justice, community development, certain aspects of, of community life together. There, these were things that were very strongly emphasized, and they, they were emphasized through conferences and retreats and, and books and later in social media. Like, there was just a very, very strong push on these things. And honestly, I think that was good. I think it was a, sometimes a necessary corrective for the church as a whole towards these things. But I also think that sometimes there was not an adequate guarding against us beginning to see those things as the things that give us merit. That somehow doing evangelism, doing global missions, doing justice, doing community development, that these were actually the things that give us merit before God, when in actuality what Paul is saying is, no, it's just about faith. And that's not to, think, to say that those things aren't things that we are, should be doing, because they obviously are. These are the things that we are going to see. We have an obedience to do, right? We've talked about the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them the things of Jesus. Like, this is part of our calling. We are supposed to, 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 to do justice and love mercy. These are things that God has called us to, but they are not our righteousness. And I think I have seen many in, in my generation struggle when God's path for them takes, it just looks different than maybe what they saw portrayed in some of these conferences and some of these retreats. And that sometimes these aspects of calling start to take on an anxiety that they were never supposed to carry because we have moved to trying to make those things the things that give us merit before God instead of operating out of 
a recognition that God has done something for, for us and to us, and therefore we go out of love for him and not in order to find a righteousness of our own. And so my hope is that as we continue to talk about this idea of calling, that in the midst of that, we would still say like Paul how much we long to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did call us out of darkness into marvelous light. Lord, we see in your word that we were dead in our transgressions. We had no hope separate from you. So, Lord, I'm grateful. But, Lord, I pray that as we continue to pursue callings, God, that we would not look for our righteousness anywhere but in faith in you. Lord, we love you and give you all the praise and the glory in your name. Amen.